It's the only wrestling podcast on earth with, I guess tonight we have two two-time X Division champions, so that screws everything up. My best friend in yours, Petey Williams. How's she going, eh? From Branson, that's Lars Fredrickson. How's it going? I'm here to fight. Yes. DJ. You've <laughs> been sizing me up the whole time. <laughs> You've been to kick my ass. Okay, sorry, Dennis. Uh, Pete, uh, why don't you introduce our guests? Uh, TJ Perkins. No, uh, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> known him for a very, very long time, all the way from uh, Puma to Suicide to uh, TJ Perkins to TJP. Uh, good wrestling friend of mine. Um, welcome, TJ. How's it going, guys? Yeah, Lars and I, we've been, this is 15 years that we've been building up this. We're waiting for WrestleMania. What are they on now? I stopped watching wrestling in 1998, so I lost count. Well, how about, uh, you know, Sunday, uh, July 17th at Slammiversary? Yeah, I mean, well, there we go. Well, dude, it's Slammy. Pre-recorded, P. <laughs> oh yeah, right. I, 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 I'm so bad with this pre-recorded stuff. I mean, you guys had a hell of a match at Slammiversary, man. Wow. <laughs> All right, Let's, all right. I'm sorry, TJ. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I, yeah, we we've <laughs> we've messed around already enough. <laughs> well, I'm going to start the questioning off, and maybe this will be uh, baked in ignorance. But for me, as a fan watching you up north, you were this young clean cut guy with no tattoos and it seemed like eight seconds later you have sleeves and you're tatted up and pierced at (laughs) in your i guess because at some point in your up north run you had to figure this was the look you wanted to go with at what point and when did you execute it because it could not have been it was like that 90 day period you come out and all of a sudden you're this (laughs) person um, yeah, a lot of people thought I got fired over tattoos, um, cause I started getting them right before I left. Um, and I guess it's a product of being on, like being under contract in places, you know? So like first, like, I mean, I was homeless for a little bit and my career kind of went to crap. And then I got into uh, this show called Lucha Libre USA. They did like three, four seasons on MTV. I think Petey came in and did some of them after I left. Yeah. He'd say he like took over for me basically. Um, so, you know, I was under contract there and then, you know, and you, you, you take reference pictures and different things for action figures. And they're like, you know, and for us, you know, most of the time we're shirtless and wrestling's cheap, man. They don't, we can't do the Marvel thing where we CGI or like makeup over the, over the stuff, you know? So if I'm like, like if you're Johnny Depp in a movie, they can put makeup on all of your cool tattoos and cover you up and it's fine. But for wrestling, they're like, just don't do anything. So long story short, you know, I'm there for like a year and they're like, you know, don't, don't make any major changes. Okay. That's fine. I'm 23, 24 years old. I'm young. I know what I want to do, but that's fine. Then ring of honor for a couple of years, same thing. Hey, we're going to try to do action figures and stuff. So don't make any major changes. Then TNA, I was suicide for a few years. And, and then we took the sleeves off the costume and the same thing. They're like, don't, don't make any major. I'm like, all right, <laughs> no problem. And then WWE, same thing. And after about a year or two, I, just, I went to talent relations and I said, look guys, I'm a grown ass man. I got to start living my life. And it, it wasn't even, you know, it's not even about like a look. I mean, these are all just, this is like my life story written on my arms, which I know sounds super cliche. And I'm sure everybody with tattoos probably says that same sort of thing. 
but uh but yeah i mean all this stuff is just stuff that i would have done gradually had i kind of had the chance and i just at a certain point i was like i feel like i'm not asking for permission anymore this is what i'm going to do thankfully they approved it but they came so fast because randy orton gave me that advice uh he had gotten hurt and he had three months off and he was like dude i always want knew what i wanted to do so i did both my sleeves when i was hurt and he's like it's the best thing because if you're always traveling you got to wrestle every week you don't want to like be always putting a bandage over something for like years you know, it's like get as much done as you can and you know your immune system goes down when you get tattoos and stuff so some people kind of get sick and he's like you just get it done so i just got it done real fast so how did uh speaking of impact because that's kind of where uh we we, we kind of first met you know like ish when we started actually wrestling each other when you were puma yeah right? yeah yeah and you weren't yeah under- that sounds about right like the fox the Fox, the, the Fox sports days, I think. Yeah. And you weren't under yeah. contract yet or anything. I don't think you, you signed your first contract till you were like, uh, you, you did the suicide character. I was already out of the company, but so let's, let's jump to the yeah. suicide character. You were my suicide debut fool. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you were in the debut match when they gave me that character. What me, you and Joey. Yeah. That was your debut as suicide. Yeah. That was night one is suicide. They had me as Puma for like two weeks or a month, maybe sitting at home. And I, I called and I said, look, I don't know if you have anybody picked to do this reboot of suicide, but I'll do it. Cause you guys can't think of anything for me to do. And they're like, okay, night one was, was us. So well, thank I th- you. <laughs> I, I think night one was also my night one back. So I figured you were doing the character for a while because I thought, I thought you were under contract at that point. No, 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 Oh, they no. signed. Okay. So, Going, we came going back, back at the, the same time. Yeah, I was only there for a little bit. I know you stayed longer because you did the, yeah. the the manic thing and stuff. So how, mm-hmm. how is it yeah. different for you? Like, because that was like the Hogan regime and stuff. So how how is that yeah. different back then than it is like now currently? Like with you know. Well, um, I guess you know, at that time it was it was still tna they were trying to like kind of make that progression into being impact wrestling and the best i could say and just for for people that are going to hear this especially if you're a wrestling fan like what aew is today is basically where tna was at that time for a few years they were like dead set we're going to run arenas like ten thousand seaters you know and just do as good as they could um kind of break into the mainstream, get action figures going video games. And they already kind of had a video game, you know? So they were like exactly what that, that is now is what they were then. You know, they had a network deal with spike and that they were going all in. So that, that really was the big difference was the structure because before that, I mean, you remember we were on spike, we did the monthly pay-per-views, but they weren't all in on being more than just a base level mainstream product. Like they did, they weren't going to like push action figures super hard. Merchandise was like three people had merchandise. It's like nobody else could get stuff, you know? Um, And then now they've gone through this entire rebuild since then, uh, because I don't think they navigated their way through that time period that well, after a while they're hemorrhaging money, you know, Mm -hmm. but at that time, that's what they were going in on, you know, Hogan and Bischoff were there and they were going all in on, you know, let's, let's go let's like when wcw is growing let's let's go all in um so i i remember it being that like every week was an arena and like you know the tv truck and the cables running everywhere and like it just felt like wwe exactly like wwe at the time um i i was actually surprised too that like a lot of people have a misconception with like eric and, and hogan like um having being so hands-on 
And I remember like almost never talking to them. Like they didn't yeah. tell anybody to do anything. And like Hulk was just one of the boys and Eric didn't want to give direction. He would just kind of be like guidance. I would ask him quite, I would try to get him to give me direction. I'd be like, Hey, can I do this? He's like, I'm not here to give you permission on that. Like go ask somebody else. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Like, but I would rather hear from you. You've you've done this a while, and you're yeah. probably smarter. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask because you've obviously worn the mask, and mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously I feel like you know there'd be obvious compli- or differences, but you know, some people maybe prefer it. What did you prefer, with or without? You know, like I, I've always been a big Charlie Chaplin fan. I know that sounds super like arbitrary, but I guess guess if I could explain why I said that right now, like from an artistic standpoint, like I have a lot of influences for wrestling that aren't necessarily from wrestling, you know, uh, musical influences, you know, Michael Jackson. I grew up like um, really into punk rock and like coming from Southern California, a lot of like 90s hip hop, like there's a certain sound and feeling to like music from like that part of the country and stuff, you know. Um, and Charlie Chaplin, I was really big on Charlie Chaplin. And so in that way, like masked wrestling, you have to emote a certain way. Cause you, you kind of don't have a voice you can't see people's eyes. You, know, you can't see what, you can't see what they're thinking with their expression. Yeah. So I, I, I loved having that element because that part of me was like, felt like I could really flourish that way. The problem is like, I also really love comedy <laughs> and like, you can only like Jim Cornette has a saying of funny, don't make money. And I don't know that that's true, but it is kind of true to a certain extent. So you hit a glass ceiling really fast uh, in that way, because I would always, I would love to make people laugh in the way that I can emote. And sometimes it's just not the tone of the character. Like suicide shouldn't be making people laugh. You know, no. he's, he's supposed to be Batman or whatever, Deadpool at best, but um. So I, I, you know, I think I'm definitely more comfortable as me, but I just, from, from an artistic standpoint, every character is different. I, I like playing the different characters. Like, I, I don't really care which version of me people will ever remember, or if people remember any of them. I just, I like them for different reasons. Well, before you jump in, in, in Dennis, let me just piggyback off that question. Did you find that you have more creative freedom being under the mask? Um, yes and no, because sometimes people, do, like, you'll have producers that maybe don't expect certain things of you. So then you find comfort in them. You can over deliver for them because they're not, they, they kind of don't expect certain capabilities from you. Uh, but then, you know, in, in other ways, it, there's just nothing like being yourself. You know, I mean, it'd be like if you went on stage to, to put on a concert, but you had to like, play in a panda outfit or something like you could probably have ton you could probably have tons of fun doing that you might have one of the best shows of your life but on a nightly basis there's nothing like being you and like the colors the flavor the sound the aesthetic that you want um right so you know there's there's pros and cons of both in that way it's interesting you say that because we had frankie kazarian on i don't know a month or so ago and he said there's if there's no way he would ever don that mask ever. Oh God, he he hated it. Um, I remember. It's so funny that I ended up with it because I remember the night they pitched it to him. We were in Houston for a pay per view, 
halfway through the pay-per-view, he comes back to the locker room. He's like, guys, and th- this is right when Frankie and Chris were just kind of just breaking out. And Frankie was like really able to be himself, you know, because he kind of like got a few bad miscasts in TNA, you know, at different times. Petey kind of remembers like, you yeah. know, he'd have bad, bad tag partners, bad, bad stables and stuff. But he's finally able to be himself. And they're like, hey, we want you to do this character. It's going to be a company character, a flagship character. And he hated it. And I remember Chris, Christopher Daniels joked, he goes, they should just have TJ do it. He's already in a mask. And I laughed it off, said, ha ha, guys. And we all laughed. And then I left TNA for years. And when I came back, I became suicide. It was, it was just <laughs> it was the funniest thing. Like, <laughs> Well, my, my question is, and we've gotten heat on recent podcasts because we've had some, you know, up north alum on. And we've never asked them about their interactions with uh, Vince McMahon. So you're kind of our first guinea pig with this question. But do you do you have kind of a cute, fun story about Vince? Because... If you listen to Mark uh, WTF with Mark Marin, he kind of has this obsession with learning about Lauren Michaels and all this stuff. So I figure I'd give this question a try. Um, so what, like funny interactions or anything like that? Sure. Um, and they don't have to be funny. They could just be interactions in general. Like, hey, he never talked to me at all. He wouldn't even look at me in the <laughs> eye. Like, wh- whatever. Well, um, okay. Like one thing, like... Uh, Vince has never chewed me out. He's he's never even been mean or stern. And I don't know if maybe that's like a mode I just didn't see. I'm sure he has that mode. And obviously, I probably just didn't see it. But I don't know if that's as regular as people think it is. Like, he's kind of just a normal dude. And I feel like not enough people treat him like a normal dude. And I honestly feel like part of him is like, this like lonesome dude inside that's like, why won't anybody just talk about <laughs> talk about ACDC and football yeah. with me? Like I just, you know, and like I I was, I don't know, like I'm not wired for like nerves or anxiousness or things like that. Um, I don't I don't get starstruck by people or anything. Um and uh so building a relationship with him knocking on the door like just if i had a question like that was never an issue for me most people are so intimidated by his door they wouldn't even knock so i think another reason why i always had pleasant interactions with him is because every time i knocked on his door maybe like once a month once every few weeks i'd just sit down and have conversations sometimes i didn't even need anything from him i just wanted to talk to him so that he gets used to being around me you know uh but like every time i'd sit down with him he was so soft-spoken he always talked second he always wanted me to talk first and like he would answer my question he was never mean if he corrected me he was always fair um so i never had like that weird like like get out of my sight like type of like (laughs) i never had any of that from him um you know uh so i i i think that was like my biggest takeaway from being around him is that he's 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 literally like a normal guy that i feel like people don't let him live like a normal guy, you know? Yeah. He probably feeds off that. Like if you're not intimidated by him, he's not going to like, you know, he, he can see that probably, but so how, how did you start with WWE? I know you did a little bit of a, you know, TNA run and stuff like that. I think you were ring of honor first. Then you did like, I think it was the cruiserweight classic, right? That was your first time with them. And then, yeah, like I had done, I mean, it's weird. Like I had like a weird on again, off again thing with WWE at different times. Um, who is, who is your, like your contact? Like, did they contact you or did you reach out to them or like, who? Got so you? I, 
it, it's like a weird, slow, hands-off process, like as far as my interactions with them go. Like way back when I was a teenager, you know, I debuted when I was thir- 13, I think 1998. So to put a timestamp on how old I am, <laughs> so it's kind of, I hate talking about it because now it's like not cool old. It's like bad old. <laughs> it's oh, lame. Dude, <laughs> no, it's old, not cool. we're old. We're all old, man. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, there's a certain point when you're like 28 and you're like, oh, I've been doing this 15 years, and people are like, wow, that's badass, dude. Like, you like now it's like, now I'm just old. So yeah. it's kind of sucks. Like, but no, I started back at that time. And in, in LA, they had a developmental. It was one of their first developmentals uh before OVW, before Deep South, before FCW, before NXT. It was called UPW in Los Angeles. It's where John Cena was trained, Victoria. Um, and we know Victoria from TNA, you know. Um, and uh, you know, I think Miz came through there, some others. And uh, the big swag. Yes. Hell yes. Swag I did. I did. I did John Cena's first ever interview for Rancid Radio when he was still the prototype. And it's funny because I ran into him in an, at an airport one time and, and he and when I went up to him, he just didn't, he looked like he did not want to be bothered. And I said, do you remember me? And he goes, yes, I remember you. You gave me my first interview ever. So, so hats off to John Cena. Sorry to interrupt. No. Yeah. So yeah, the prototype. So uh, I was actually in prototypes class. Um, a lot of local guys would get a shot at kind of like how it is at NXT. You know, you see guys do matches and they're not under contract, but the guys will get an opportunity to be on the TV tapings and, um, Sometimes they might be invited to do workouts at the gym or something in the PC. But at that time, that's kind of how it was. And um, I was one of the local guys. It was, I, they, they felt like I was really good. So it's like being an NXT under scholarship at the age of like 14. I didn't have a contract, but I was training. I was on the TV tapings and stuff like that. But when Jim Ross or Tommy Dreamer or Hunter would come in to do their evaluations, they were looking at me. They knew that I was just kind of there as a token. But that was my first meeting, like getting to know like Regal and JR and different guys that were part of the system at the time. Um, then, I, you know, that when they lost their relationship and they broke off, I ended up going to Japan, Mexico and stuff like that. When I came back, then I, you know, I met PD, Ring of Honor, TNA, but then I was doing some WWE dark matches and stuff when I was 21, 22 years old. And it's kind of the same thing. You know, now I'm kind of old enough to be more part of the process, but still young and I'm a small guy. And uh, I think it was Tommy Dreamer that was like, you know, you're you're doing a lot of these TVs. They really like you. They know you're really good. But this is a Monday afternoon. They're really worried about getting, you know, John Cena's promo on the air tonight. It's not really a day for you to get a job, but maybe you should go to Florida. And now at this time, FCW was their their training center. And he said, why don't you try going in the back door? Because you've been knocking on the front door for a while. Maybe that's the way to go. Well, uh, that led to me, you know, walking on at FCW. I trained there for a few months, un- not under contract. Uh, at a certain point, they're like, look, we don't have anything for you. Um, that was actually the period of time that I ended up homeless because I kind of gave up all my other wrestling to go in there. Couldn't get my spots back because, you know, everybody's talented in this business. <laughs> I can't just mm-hmm. like go walk right back into my old gigs, you know. Uh, and eventually once I kind of got everything back, got the ship back uh, right, um, it was Regal that called me out of the blue one day and he was like, look, you're, you know, we know you're out of TNA. And, uh, if you, 
if you're still free to go, we're putting together this tournament. We'd love you to be a part of it. I said, sure. Um, I didn't even really want to go to WWE at that point. I was, it's so weird. I was so over it. And I was like, you know, like, <laughs> forget this place, man. Like they, they left me high and dry when I was, and I ended up homeless and starving. I'd rather just work for people that want me. So I didn't really yeah. care if I did more than a day there, but it was Regal that called me and, uh, I did the tournament and, um, they talked me into staying and stayed for a few years and the rest was history. Was that, was that the plan? Like when Regal first talked to you, did you know they're like, yeah, we're going to put you over in the tournament? No, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't know till the day of the final show. Cause I never asked those questions. Like, um, well, Petey knows from going to work with me. I almost could care less about what the plan is. I, <laughs> you tell me what to do and I'll, I'll get it done with the bare minimum of details. Usually a typical afternoon at work for me is everybody else stressed the hell out. And me usually just kind of like, it's all right, guys, we'll coast our way across the finish line. It'll be all good. Um, but yeah, I didn't know. I didn't like, I went in, you know, you go to those things when you're young, you tryouts or whatever. And it's like, yes, sir. No, sir. You know, jump how high that sort of thing. And when you start to realize that they kind of already have you pegged when you come in the door, the, the, you're a guy I'm going with, you're a guy I'm not, you're a guy I'm going with, you're a guy I'm not. And I think it's this way with all walks of life. I'm sure like music, sports, yeah. anything like you, people know Bill Murray has a famous story of he knew he was going to be a superstar when him and his friends on Ghostbusters, which is one of their first big movies after, you know, they'd, they'd done a couple like stripes or whatever. He knew he was going to be a superstar because they would, they showed up late and nobody said a thing. Hmm. day one they showed up late and he just he's like i knew i knew at that point we were we were stars because they chose us like you you just you could tell um and so you know the other times that you know when you're younger you follow directions that's what i did and i was like that gets you nowhere and so this time i just treated it like i didn't care and ugh, it couldn't have been more opposite they were like oh like i would show up late for orientation meetings and they'd be like oh don't worry here come here we'll, we'll catch you up to speed in the back and blah 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 and like like you, you're not gonna kick me off the project yeah. or suspend me or something like, and, you know, I just think that they knew what they wanted out of me um, from the beginning. And I think uh, at least as far as like, after the first show, they, they could see that like, other than Spanky, like, like I was really the only veteran performer that had had a wrestling job before. So they could kind of trust me to hold a difficult ball as so to speak. And so, you know, I never asked and this is the final day. They're like, are you excited? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm sure it's going to be a great show. And they're like, well, you're going, you're all the way through. And I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> well, so. I guess my question is, I want to kind of take it back a little bit to Japan, you know, yeah. and being so young, you know, and not only that, but just like the, what the culture shock <laughs> of going over there and, you know, the Japanese dress in one room and the Gaijin dress in the other room or whatever yeah. it is. I don't know if they were doing that. Uh, but, uh, for me, the culture shock, how did that affect you? And number two, um, was there anybody over there that kind of mentored you in any way, shape or form? Well, when I went, it was still the kind of like the Eddie Benoit Malenko generation, like Scott Norton. I mean, those guys obviously had gone on to WWE at that time. I almost got to tour with Eddie cause he got fired for a little bit. He came back to new Japan and he did a tour over the summer. And then I started in the fall and, and he went back to WD and I was like, God, cause Eddie's like my hero. And I was like, man, I could have met him. But, um, but it was still his generation, those guys' generations, like Scott Norton was like the, the senior guy on the tour. 
um bart gun was was on some of the tours too so the, i mean these are like old school like wild west dudes you know like <laughs> you know eat steak hunt listen to country music the referee is so funny one of the referees who was like the american liaison he would tell us like he was like embarrassed to the gaijin because like me my class was all juniors basically there's only one heavyweight but it was like me brian danielson Daniel Bryan, for for those that didn't know him before WWE, um, this guy Rocky Romero and Ricky Reyes, and we're all juniors, and and we're like you know young guys, especially me. So we like we're like listening to Green Day, and like Brian's listening to Kanye West, and we're like, why we want to go to the mall, and like the referee that was like the usual go between for like the Americans. He's he's been there a while, and he's used to like norton and like dr death and that's what gaijins are to him so he's like he's like used to be gaijin 300 pounds hunt eat steak listen to country music but you no (laughs) it's so funny (laughs) but you know i i i kind of got ushered in like in an old school way with them like you you go out and they would i mean that's like they would wrestling it wasn't even about wrestling they're like you'll cover your drink at the bar somebody might h-bomb you that sort of thing like i was still around for that generation so like right. um luckily for me i'm i mean i'm i guess you'd say i'm straight edge i don't drink or anything like that so i never really had to deal with that sort of crap but if i go out you know usually it was it was an old school upbringing you learn you learned how to wrestle and sitting on the bus listening to these guys talk and um and they were tough dudes. And it was kind of like that. Some Sometimes you're in locker rooms that are separated and referees would have to relay messages and things like that. Um, the languages were different. We didn't have Wi-Fi at the time in most places. Um, you had to get a phone card and call on a pay phone. Oh, yeah, if you had like, if you had like, yeah, if you had a wife or a girlfriend at home or something like that, then it was a nightmare. You know, that's how people lost families and relationships because it was just like going to another planet. Um food was different but i mean a lot of that stuff is easy to assimilate um i was just shocked that like i was like a few months before that i was sitting in english class in high school and now all of a sudden i'm I'm on like a first class like flight and they're handing me like three grands and like japanese cash right off the plane i'm like jesus christ this is what kobe bryant must have felt like (laughs) like and you know you're in the tokyo dome in a week and i'm like god god like um so there was pleasant culture shocks too that I mean, you know, maybe that's maybe that's why I had to start all over later because God was probably like, you don't know how to appreciate this dude. <laughs> <laughs> Down a peg. Yeah. You you sound like and you've kind of said that you're very even keel, you know, championships stuff like that don't really mean anything. You show up, you go to work, you do what's asked of you. But was there a moment or a championship that you were you know, you've earned that really hit home that gave you the feels? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, the easy answer, probably the, the, I mean, the WWF one or WWF WWE one, the cruiserweight title, just because of the scope of it. And honestly, I, I could care less that it was WWE or the scope of it or anything like that personally. Uh, but I know that it meant to a lot. It meant a lot to people that, I, I kind of realized as I, as I went, you know, like I was kind of starting to have the Pacquiao effect to like Filipinos and like Asian Americans. Then mm. it became a big deal to me because I'm like, you know, this is like, I could care less if I win or lose. I mean, Scott Hall says it like, it's fake when you win, it's fake when you lose. And I've never lost sight of that since the first day I took a bump, like just cause I never wanted to get ahead of myself. But, uh, 
but when I started to see how it affected people and it's like, you know, if you're, if you're kind of on the soulless corporate side of this business, I could see how people are able to make money off of something I did. And I'm like, wow, this is a big deal. And if you want to make a difference in the world and like you, you, you have personal social goals and things that mean a lot to you personally, like for me, like my culture, my family, stuff like that. Um, seeing the effect I had for like Asian Americans and Filipinos, like people were telling me, God, like my grandmother back home in Manila was crying watching this match. Like, and it's like, I never would have thought that. So then it's like, then it starts to become really special because, you know, at the end of the night, I'm still sitting there alone in my hotel room, eating pizza with the piece <laughs> of metal strapped onto a leather belt, like sitting on the edge of the bed. That's garbage. It's just a toy. But like those things, it's like, holy crap, like thousands of people that now they might've been ready to give up on life and they're just going to like beg for a living back home or back, you know, in Manila or something. Now they're going to try to be a doctor. That's a big deal, you know? Um, and, you know, a company being able to make a million dollars maybe off of you, who knows, like what they invested, what they made, like, you know, the business is so big for stuff like that. Like, I don't know what they made off of toys and programming and stuff, but the fact that that show or whatever became a success for the time being, like, wow like like to me that was special like i, I don't that, I mean that was the was some of the best programming i've ever seen them put out so there you go i yeah i mean i i'm proud of it and i almost was <laughs> i was i almost was gonna leave after the tournament because i knew the tournament was gonna be a big deal um just because they had never done something like that and if and you could just tell they were willing to do it right like or i, I don't i hesitate to say right but like they were willing to do something that in the way that people wanted it for once, you know, instead of trying to teach them to want something that they're in control of, like they were just willing to say, you know what, you want this here, have at it. Um, so I was like, this will be an important moment in history. So I'll be a part of it. I was almost going to leave after that. Um, Regal kind of talked to me and saying, I would, I would have gone back to Japan otherwise. So I, and I can, I'll vouch for you. You, you are very even keel backstage. I mean, you know, leading up to like slam anniversary and stuff. And just the, the past couple months at impact, we've had a lot of matches together and with other young X division stars. And what's crazy is we do so much filming and there's so many matches. It's all out of order and stuff like that. And we're like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And it's great because we won't have the match planned and you're sitting there like, eh, it's okay you know, lacing up your boots and stuff. And you got like, you know, the younger guys going to make a cup of coffee or something. Yeah. TJ, we got to, we got to figure where's TJ. We got to figure this out. And you're just so calm and collected. And you're like, yeah, it'll be fine guys. It it legit made me laugh. The one day when you were like, you pulled, you said, dude, do you see everybody's, you did an impression of like eight people going, Hey TJ, Hey TJ, Hey TJ. TJ." Like, do you know how many people you're answering to? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know. I know they all want to, they all have a question, but it's okay. When when we get out there, we'll be all right. I don't know. Like it's it's like Tom, it's like Tom Brady running the two minute offense, you know, like at at the end of the day, if you're really great at what Muhammad Ali said, you win fights in the gym, not, not in, not in the ring. You know, and it's like, I, I feel like at this point, you know, and I feel like you should too, you, you, you're considered our best producer for a reason. I think, um, our experience and the, the reps and things that we've done, like that's, if, if we have to panic two hours before or five minutes before you go to the ring, you, you're not, that's that, that part does not matter. 
you're going to lose that fight <laughs> if that's what you're worried about. So I just feel like once we get in there, you know, like like Brady, he's going to read the defense. He's going to hopefully make the right decision and go from there. And Rodgers, that's how they that's how they play ball. That's what the best point guards, quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. That's what they do. So what, I know that once we get in there, I can set the chessboard. I know what guys' strengths and weaknesses are. I know what their questions are. I'll get them. I'll get them where they need to go. And most of them are far more talented than me. They just they're just nervous about how to use their tools. It's yeah. like. I'll put the ball in the air. Just catch it, bro. You're, you'll score the touchdown. It's fine. <laughs> the the one time though, like it, it was recently, you weren't throwing off your game, but it was you. You were a little different, and it was the Iron Man match, right? Oh so, yeah, the, like, the the commercial cues. Yes, and that's what it was. It wasn't so much the wrestling. I don't think it was you. It was when we were we were trying to discuss the commercial cues because it was we added some time and all that kind of yeah. stuff and. It was just ridiculous. But uh, talking about the Iron Man match, uh, A, I, I don't think you've done a one hour one before, correct? No. Yeah, no, never before. How was that like going in? Was that difficult for you or was that like, I mean, you had one of the, the best opponents you could ask for, you know? No, that, yeah. Was that difficult for you or like what was your mindset going into that? You know, I think my the frustration for the programming stuff yeah. mostly was because. Um, I wanted, I wanted to give Josh a great match and mm -hmm. like, cause he is one of the best, he's like one of the best opponents you could ever ask for. Mm -hmm. And I think is he's also in a place where, I mean, he, he really deserves the best out of whoever he's in there with. And I was like, man, I don't want I, I want you to have a good day. You know, I I've had plenty of moments in the sun, but this is Josh's coming out party right now. So to me, I was like, man, like I was mostly frustrated because I'm like, I don't want to have a bad day on his behalf <laughs> because mm. he's like, he's the king that we're all sort of trying to feed here. You know, he's the, he's our guy, you know? And, um, and so I, I and, but, you know, knowing I'm still going to go in there, I'm still going to kind of be the quarterback of the thing. I, I just felt like that was a little frustrating. I was like, now I'm going to have to deal with so much stuff. I mean, that's like the highest level baseball you can have is to do a an amount of time that's physically impossible for most people to do like most people just can't physically do that match mm -hmm. most of the time though when they have that match it's on a pay-per-view and there's like no cuts mm -hmm. and you can go straight through and you have right. freedom and a lot of people you know once you go to like like the major league level like people realize dude even a five minute match with a commercial break is like very hard to do on live tv so knowing we were going to go in there and we had to do it live to tape because they wanted to air it a certain way yeah. as you know, like as if it were going social to social media yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was going to be presented live, but then we're also going to give you these commercial breaks. And I think we ended up having like two or three more than was planned or something like that. And they came in different spots or intervals. So, I mean, that's like about as high level baseball as you can possibly play. Like, like any hurdle you could possibly put like, it was there. And our business was there. And so I, that's what was frustrating was, and it was mostly just because it was last minute hurdles. Like it was almost like somebody showed you the track and then right before they're about to blow the gun, they're like, wait a minute, we're going to add a hurdle, a hurdle and a cone and a cone. And it's like, okay, wait a minute, guys, <laughs> you you still expect me to run a perfect like race. But, uh, um, but, you know, I mean, Josh is incredible to the point that I would say you, you can't have a bad match with them. So yeah. thankfully, um, you know, uh, we, we handled it, you know, fairly easily. I think the hardest part for me, maybe other than navigating some of that stuff mentally was, um, 
I had a broken nose. Oh, so I yeah, broken it. Yeah. I had broken it like the week before. And this was not day one of, of the TV tapings either. This was in the middle. So it had been getting like hit more and more and maybe rebroken like at like <laughs> the days leading up to it. So like I had like half a working septum and and I was huh. it was getting hit. And you know, Josh, Josh is a really physical wrestler. He's and he's a legitimate heavyweight, and I'm a junior. So I mean that's bad enough as it is it'd be like mayweather fighting tyson like i mean like i can hold my own with him physically but he's gonna be rough and so like every you know i couldn't breathe and it's it's painful and that sort of thing but you know it was, it was an experience awesome you know i have I, so i love you know back in my day they were called light heavyweights because i'm older yeah. than all you motherfuckers right so <laughs> So a couple, I got comments all around the world and I got a lot of questions for you. So I'm going to try to sum it up very quickly. But number one, that match that you had, the Iron Man match, is probably my match of the year, easily. Oh, and thank you. Your buddy, your buddy Petey was putting it over before <laughs> anything. He was saying, you guys got to watch the whole thing. And I did. And it was incredible because it's unusual in this day and age to see the cruiserweights put any fucking psychology in a match it's always this jump 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 boom boom i got a hard on jerk me off then boom 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 back 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 <laughs> it's just like fuck i can't you know I, you know slow it down a little bit guys you know walk down and fuck all the cows Not, don't run down and just fuck one but anyways i know i'm going off on a tangent but the psychology i hope anyways edit 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 but um what wrestling are you watching Lars? <laughs> the kind the adult kind um <laughs> <laughs> the kind you can't watch with your kids but anyway <laughs> the psychology there was next level the whole match was was in to hear that even about the hurdles just makes me that much more have that much more respect for it but you know one of the things i wanted to talk about you know, you're talking about you know winning that that cruiserweight championship for the Filipino fan, you know, fans and, and the Asian Americans and, and Asians around the world. But I mean, and I know that you have that tiger mask tattoo on you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so man. I also, I'll, yeah. So I also have a tiger mask, Jushin Thunder Liger, Masawa. And ah, no Jushin shit. Sakura. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, but we're talking about, you know, tiger mask was when the first time I watched WWF, I believe he was the light heavyweight championship at the time. That is correct. The WWWF was when it right. originally, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, now you're in the, it, it's, a, I know that it's been rebranded as Cruiserweight, but I mean, do you ever think like, do you ever sit back and think? And I know I never do, even if I've played with legendary bands or whatever it is. Uh, but do you ever think like, shit, I kind of held the same position as fucking Tiger Mask, the dude I got the tattoo on my arm? I mean, does it ever like does the gravity of that ever hit you do you ever sit back i mean it sounds like you're a pretty humble dude and you kind of got your head on straight but does it ever overwhelm you at times thinking about what you've accomplished what's what positions you've held in different companies like and, and being uh, bestowed that honor well i mean i don't know if duality is the right word but i mean there, there's there's a split to it i think the way that you kind of see it because i am i am really even keeled and maybe anchored in a certain way so like i mean it's a job and we're all guys that 
do this job. And in my opinion, there's no such thing as best in the world because it's really a pass or fail system. You can either do it or you can't, you know, and I don't really believe there's levels to it because I believe everybody's working with different variables. And if you give anybody, if you give two guys the same set of variables, but both guys can do the job, maybe they won't get it at the same time, but I think most people could kind of get it, you know, and with art, everything is going to be subjective anyway. So some, some things just are going to click. Some things just aren't, you know? Um, so in that way, when I think about, well, I've done some of the same things as my heroes, I, I also kind of think, well, I mean, my heroes were normal dudes too, you know, and they, they did their the best that they could and, and, and they did really well. And then there are some days where I'm like, I don't want to have that comparison because to me, they're still Superman and like, who the fuck am I, you know? Uh, and then the times where the, those two worlds meet, those two kind of parts of my psyche meet is when well, I give you two examples, actually very specific examples. When I was younger, I remember my first tour and I was living in the dojo. I had to do the young boy thing. The other guys were a little bit older than me. They were 22, 23 years old. So they, they were ready to kind of be, on the tours as regular performers, they, they looked at me like you're 17, 18 years old. You can be a young boy. So they kind of did like the Benoit thing with me, like I slept in the dojo, did all the squats, all that sort of thing, swept the floors, washed wrestlers backs, stuff like that, carried the bags. And I remember sitting in the dojo one day and Liger was there and he said um, just in so many words that he's happy to see us and the next generation to come through here. And he was like, you guys are like, you're going to do like what Eddie and me and Owen Hart and Benoit and all the guys did. And, you know, then you're going to move on and do this and this and this and this. And I'm like, to me at that time, I was like, don't compare us to these guys. But he tried to kind of explain to me, like when they were here, they were just like you, they weren't, Eddie wasn't Eddie yet. Chris right. wasn't Chris yet. You know, you did. We look back on that uh, with rose-colored glasses as we see what they became, and then we think, "God, this was them." But it's like they weren't. They they could have burned out and never succeeded from that point on, and we would have never known the difference, you know. Um. So I remember that moment being kind of blown away by his comparison, and then just last year, I did uh, I did a, a podcast with Vicky Guerrero, and she was like. I find you so interesting because you have the exact same path that Eddie did. And so many of the ways that you think and your personality is, is like very similar to Eddie and the things that you've done now is like a lot of the same things that Eddie did. And I was like, that blew me away. Cause I'm like, this is somebody that lived through it. Like she watched him do it, held his hand through it, like cried with him and the low points and cried with him at the high points. And like, she's saying that. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. So like, times like that is when it really kind of does hit me a little bit because most days I just think I'm a normal guy. I'll appreciate it when I'm done. And hopefully my kids will appreciate it someday. You know, when they went, well, when my kid's born anyway, um, yeah, cause he's still got a month to cook, but, <laughs> but congratulations. Uh, thank you. So, so you know, I, I, I normally am grounded in that way, but is when I hear it from other people that lived it, then, then it starts to kind of hit me in a weird way. And it's, 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 you know, it's off putting in a good way, I guess. We have time for one more question of peace here. And I guess my question is in getting to know you over this last few minutes, and, and hearing how grounded you are, and I'm not even sure if this, this question applies to you, but 
do you do you have goals? Do you have how how do you measure outside of a consistent paycheck? Do you do you get your joy out of the industry? Um, you know, I used to kind of have bucket list. I mean, everybody has a bucket list, you know, when you get into this, but the weird thing for me is I checked off my bucket list mostly by the time I was 21. And again, I think that's sort of why I crashed and burned. And I don't know. I was raised Catholic. And if you, if, if you're atheist or whatever you are, it doesn't really matter if you, if you, if you believe in the cosmos, or you believe in coincidence, whatever it is, everything kind of happens for a reason, whether it's, yeah. you know, whatever design. And uh, to me, I feel like that's why I crashed and burned. Cause I like, I got all this stuff fell on my lap. I accomplished it. I worked hard. And I didn't appreciate, I was still a kid. I didn't really know, you know. Um, so like to answer your question, like I don't have bucket list items mostly because I checked them all off, but also because I just think that that's like, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is meaningless. I don't main event the garden. Okay. But like, you know, I want, I can't, <laughs> I can't buy a car that I could put my kid's car seat in with that. Like I can't, I can't pay the mortgage with, Hey, I main evented the Staples center last night. You know, I I'm a former WWE champ, you know, whatever. Like, so I, I, I want to do good things. And yeah, those things are still creatively fulfilling for me in a certain way. Uh, but you know, I, I, I like to help others. I think now that's sort of becoming a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think PD, PD kind of knows this. He sees it like, I'm not a producer at Impact, but in a way, I've sort of become sort of a, like a producer just because I, I, I do like to help out guys that I could see are there and they're just they're missing one piece or they're just not sure how to put their puzzle together. And I'm like, man, I, I remember what it was like. And nobody mentored me when I had that. You know, a lot of my older friends or people in the business, they didn't care. I don't know. If it was, they, maybe they're intimidated by my talent. Or maybe they just didn't care about me at all as a person, or they're just more self-absorbed or whatever the case may be. People, nobody helped me. So when I see that now and I'm like an older performer now, I'm like, I I don't want somebody to fly blind like I did. So I I get a lot of fulfillment out of that. And and I do get a lot of fulfillment over just having fun, making a good living, you know, and kind of, I'm not, you know, I don't play for the logo on the front. You know, and I think that's it's weird because, you know, you, you you play team sports as a kid. It's like it's not about the name on the back, it's the name on the front. But yeah. I think in this way, like you get taken advantage of if you're all about playing for the logo on the front, because that logo is going to beat the crap out of you and ride you till you're done. So mm-hmm. I could care less about the logo on the front and more about, you know, my kid's going to eat cereal. That That's really all I care about. Um, what and, kind of know, cereal? <laughs> uh, well, I I don't know. I've always been a Fruity Pebbles guy. Uh, <laughs> Cookie Crisp is pretty good. Um, although these days I, I'm getting older, I got to eat healthier. So honey bunches of oats, you know, sometimes. But, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, my bucket lists aren't really like things that you would find common for younger guys. I, I just I like I like having fun, you know. Absolutely. Um, I like they say like. Tom Brady says, what, what is his favorite game that he always says the next one. Yeah. So I always say like, like who's a, who, what wrestler do you want to wrestle next? The next one, you know, like whoever I have next, it doesn't matter who it is. I hope it's the best match they've ever had because then I'll be happy. And then, yeah. then, then the next one, then the next one, then the next one, hopefully God will give me 10 more years. Like, 
No, I think as I'm just real quick, as I'm sitting here in my Raiders socks, I take offense to that Tom Brady comment. Please go, Petey. The tuck oh, yeah. rule. So, <laughs> I don't know what it is. He Listen, so- Derek Carr running the two-minute <laughs> offense. Just edit that sound clip over over every previous piece. As a Patriot, they support your statement. So a couple things, TJ, before I ask my next question. Uh, I don't know yeah. how, uh, like unsolicited, every single guest that we've had over the past month has brought up like Tom Brady in some form or fashion, right? This is where we have the same conversation. I mean, I think uh, he's top. He's topical, I guess. You know, yeah, uh, I bring him up because, like, I I dig the fact that he's this dude that went undrafted and now is going to go down as like you know history book is going to kind of designate him yeah. as the greatest of all time. Like he's going to be. Like him and Joe Montana, like they're gonna be in that circle. Like, um, and you know, what? I just I got a story about Joe Montana. I gotta tell you. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I just think so. I've always been drawn to him in that way because he's a normal guy. Like he didn't. He's not somebody with these tools that should have made it. And like, I like to me that's to me that's cool because I'm not special. Like I'm not. I'm not a guy. I'm not Will Osprey. I can't do the things that Ricochet does. Yeah. And I'm, I don't have great genetics. I'm average size. I'm 5'9", 5'10", maybe. 175 pounds, maybe. I'm not especially smart, you know? I'm, and, like, I'm not the <laughs> fastest. I'm not the fastest guy or, or anything. Like, you know, like Wayne Gretzky, too. Like, he would say, like, I'm not the best at anything. I'm just really good at everything I could try and do. And that accumulates in the aggregate as well altogether that's pretty good you know um so that's why that's why i bring up brady a lot of people probably bring it up just because he just won a super bowl but whatever to that (laughs) no and another thing i think uh for almost the 20 years we've known each other i don't think we've ever talked wrestling like this before we usually talk like kids politics whatever anything but wrestling but yeah where where, where's the nearest wendy's (laughs) exactly wendy's (laughs) Right next to the sleep in, I guess. Um, yes. So talk about one thing we didn't touch on is uh, New Japan Strong. You're involved with them. Uh, yeah. How's that going? Are, are they going to start uh, now that things are opening back up? Are they going to start allowing fans? What's that looking like? Yeah. So the next big event they have is actually going to be at the L.A. Coliseum. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I, so, well, OK, so we all said, oh, wow. And then we all said, oh, shit, because that's pretty daunting right but uh but i guess they have like a side venue as part of the coliseum that can be converted so they 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 uh set up for a few thousand or whatever and i think they already sold it out so they they exceeded their expectation for it but that's the next one they're allowing fans in it's a pretty big one i i assume most of these fans probably won't even be from la because uh it's also summer it's like SummerSlam week too so a lot of people will kind of go to vegas maybe as well um but uh, there's that. And then I think a couple nights later, they're going to be back in the studio for a normal TV taping, but they're also going to allow fans for that. Um, and I believe they probably are looking at getting their touring back up uh, going into the fall, which in 2019, we had a lot of tours like Northeast, Southeast, Midwest, some West Coast ones. We did one in San Jose and LA. We had part of the Jacob was in San Francisco. I think night two yep. was in San Francisco. Um, was there. So that yeah, they're gonna they're gonna try to get back to that. I think uh, coming into the fall and into the next years, and their roster's pretty great and very diverse. And I, I'm hearing that some of the diehard New Japan fans, like the Japanese fans, are starting to prefer Strong over the 
the home the home shows because the home shows are rotating like a very short roster because of the travel restrictions so then they look at like strong and they're like wow you guys get some of the japanese guys but you guys have all these other gaijin like different like one-offs and and people that aren't part of the company and like so now that's becoming like this like underground like popularity uh which is kind of a side uh unexpected product awesome yeah, I have I have way too many questions, but I know I only got one left. But um, first of all, I'm I'm super stoked that we were able to put this together. I hope you'll come back and answer my other hundred questions. But I guess my last question, if there was any, is now that the, the whole forbidden door has been broken down, and you've pretty much wrestled anybody who's anybody in all promotions, um, and now you know you're 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 part of the Impact Crew and that and that, that thing. Um, do you see yourself? Well, let me let me rephrase that question. Do you, is there anybody else in any promotion that you haven't mess, uh, tangled with that you'd like to get in the ring with? Anybody? Um, that's a tough question. I mean, like I said before, I don't really have like bucket lists and things like that. But there are guys that I've been in the ring with when we were younger and the younger version of them is vastly different than who they are now. Whereas with me, like I got really lucky, really young. So I kind of ascended to a certain spot when I was young. And to some guys, I was like, kind of like their senior in a way. But then like, as we've gone, like some guys have moved up and moved up and became superstars. And like, um, so now I might kind of be the same guy I was in. I mean, I guess in scope, I'm a different guy and different wrestler, but you know, uh, but for some of them, they've grown so much like Okada. I wrestled him as a young boy. Now he's like the greatest Japanese wrestler ever. <laughs> like, so he's a guy that, that I would love to wrestle him again. Now we wrestled like a year ago in like a tag match during, uh, the junior tag league, but it, we, I mean, I haven't done it one-on-one, but I wrestled him once when he was a young boy and he's so different now. Kenny Omega is another guy who wrestled in the super juniors like 10 years ago, but mm. he wasn't Kenny Omega now, you know, um, Hiromu, he was a young boy at the time. Now he's like this junior, like, like mega star for new Japan. And he's another guy that, that, um, is like that for me. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of guys like that, that, at one time, they were just totally different people. But those are three guys that I can think of off the top of my head that would that I would love to do, just because, you know, they're they're so different now. Well, I, I, I you know, I guess we're never going to see you in Necro Butcher, then, huh? <laughs> I've wrestled Necro Butcher, so can you say the same thing, TJ? No, no, I just right, I, last out, time last time I saw Necro, he said hey, I. I was wrestling Ultimo Dragon in Japan on a one-off show, and I was so sick from the flu, like traveling over, that I went and waited in the lobby for the bus to the venue a complete day early than the show was. <laughs> so I was sitting in Tokyo Dome lobby, like dying on the bench with like my gear bag in my hand, like about to pass out. And Necro came walking through the lobby, and he's like, "What are you doing, man?" And I'm like, it's "Time for the show." And he's like, "That's tomorrow." And I'm like fuck and he goes and i'm like what are you doing he's like i just came down from mount fuji i've been like doing mushrooms and stuff in the mountains and i'm like and i'm the one that doesn't know what day it is this guy was sharp as a tack he was was. like he was told he was fine and i like yeah so that was the last time i saw necro oh man that's funny 
Mm. Well, listen, we had a blast here. Where can people find you? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty simple. I, I kind of don't really like social media, but I, I do have a couple of the ones, you know, that I'm expected to have for work. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at mega TJP. I stream on Twitch. Uh, yeah. That's also, that's also mega TJP. Um, I don't have a schedule, but usually once or twice a week I'll get on. Um, uh, cameos for the people that like, like that sort of thing. If you have like a kid's birthday or something like that, uh, if you just wanted to ask me a question, cameo is also mega TJP. And then I moved all of my merch on the pro wrestling tees. Um, and, and yeah, you can find that pretty easily under, under me. Um, otherwise, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I've got like, I don't know that I have the cultural patience for like TikTok and stuff like that. So I don't got like a YouTube vlog or anything cool. Just the basic bare bones stuff. We just had the greatest cameo from you for almost an hour. So well worth the money. <laughs> yeah. Talk to yours. Uh, thank you for being so patient. Yeah, it's all good. Guys. Sorry thanks. for being late, by the way, too. <laughs> oh, you're, I'm glad I could be so on time. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting down here with us on the wrestling perspective, Lars PD. I know I had a blast. Thank yeah. you, TJP. Thanks, Thank you, TJ. I'd love to do it anytime. <laughs>